this week's episode of Romance in the Wild, A Thought with Thoughts. I'm your host, Maisie, and this week we are talking about The Kiss Quotient by Helen Hong. And oh my god, I I mean, this is just going to be probably three hours long and just me gushing nonstop. Um, last week's episode on Verity was a little heavy, and I think The Kiss Quotient was the perfect follow-up for this week. Um, and damn it, I love this book. I I was honestly just considering having this episode be a round of applause on loop because it was so good. And also, I recognize that I am kind of the last one to this party and everybody else, like pretty much the whole world has read this book <laughs> a long time ago. And I'm the last one there, but I'm going to be the loudest one at the party because I just absolutely adored this novel. And I finished it yesterday, and I even attempted to record this podcast immediately after finishing it, and I just couldn't because I had too many thoughts, and like, I'm definitely going through a book hangover right now, and I was, you know, you know the classic stages, like, like slow blink as you gently close the book on the last page and just stare at a blank ceiling, and then, you know, some minor shakes, and then denial, you're like... There's no way. Like, this book couldn't have been this good. Like, no book has a right to be this good. And then resentment, which is kind of me, like, looking over at my boyfriend and thinking, you don't sew. You're not like Michael. You don't You don't sew beautiful dresses. How dare you? How dare you, sir? Who do you think you are? And then, you know, just kind of, like, gushing and texting everybody that I know about how good this book is, and then everybody's like, yeah, no shit, we read it a long, long time ago, and we've been telling you to read it. And then I guess the final stage of a book hangover is podcasting about it, and here we are. Um, So just a really quick, very quick summary on this one. Um, Stella is a highly successful um, economist, I think it's pronounced econometrician, but... um, that could be totally wrong on like how I'm pronouncing it. Um, and she, she's super driven, super successful. And she also happens to be a woman with autism. Um, and the opening scene of the book is her mom telling her, um, that they want grandchildren in the next couple of years, uh, and, and letting Stella know. So she has time to mentally prepare for that. And, um, and then Stella goes into work on a Saturday because she loves her job and kind of who I consider the villain of this book, um, Philip piece of shit, Philip is in there and he is basically an HR's worst nightmare. He's definitely a sex like he's definitely sexually harassing her and he's talking about how she needs to get experience um with sex if she ever wants a guy to like her and um Stella being like the badass take charge woman that she is takes this idea of getting more practice with sex to heart and she hires a male escort um Q Michael our hero um, he is, he's a male escort and he also, that's his Friday night job. And then during the day he works as a tailor at his mom's, um, his mom's dry cleaning service. And this whole book is kind of, is written as a, um, pretty woman gender swap, which I absolutely love. I think that that's so clever. Um, you know, hats off to Helen Hong on that one. 
And so Michael goes and he meets Stella. And there's kind of like this instant attraction. At least we hear that from his part. And they have dinner. And the first night um, is like, you know, kind of a disaster in a sense. Poor Stella. My heart just goes out to her. <laughs> and she's so uncomfortable. And she it's so like just what she's putting herself through in this attempt to be you know, to kind of, in her mind, to make herself ready for relationships. But Michael, God bless him, he is so patient with her and he never pushes Stella um, to do anything she's uncomfortable with. I mean, I think that the night ends just with like cuddling um, and watching a movie. And I think that that's really, really sweet and really, really beautiful. And he is from the start, like he's not aware that she has autism, but from the start, he's super patient with her. He's super um, gentle and loving and like just just a, a beautiful gentleman. Like, God damn, I can't. It's so nice. So refreshing. Um, and so Stella propositions him for repeated sessions, like three more ses sessions, um, because she has these hilarious and very specific uh, lesson plans in mind that she wants to go over to learn, you know, different, you know, <laughs> hand jobs and missionary position and with um, with performance review, which I, is just hilarious. And um and, and so, so, so type A, beautiful Stella. Um, and Michael generally has a rule of no repeat clients. And he initially declines, but the idea of Stella propositioning another um, escort or something along those lines really bothers him. And he has this, like, feeling that he's the one that can protect her and take care of her. And so he agrees to the three more sessions. And um, they don't go as planned, you know, like um, her lesson plans aren't necessarily met in those three lessons, but she decides that it's less at this point that she needs to learn how to be good um, at sex and more that she needs to learn how to be good in relationships because her, her autism makes it difficult for her to gauge um, social situations and other people's emotions. And so the deal transitions to her asking Michael to be her practice boyfriend um, for the month, and she'll give him $50,000 to do so. And um, and she even has, like, the clause of no sex. And Michael feels really uncomfortable with that at first. Like, he has—it's alluded to the whole time about how he has this um, deadbeat dad or, you know, this, neglect, this father that's not in the picture anymore that has an innate— evilness to him and um and it must have taken advantage of women because Michael is really concerned that you know agreeing to do this with Stella would be him taking advantage of her <clears throat> um and so eventually he does agree and love just blossoms everywhere and it's so beautiful <laughs> I mean it was just like the sweetest freaking Book. Oh my God! I could not. I, I could not stop grinning the whole time, and it comes and through the story, Stella doesn't want to disclose to Michael that she has autism because it's very important to her that he doesn't he doesn't pity her, and she worries that because of past experiences, that the second she puts that label on herself, um, his idea of her changes, and she's no longer just like this quirky woman, but she is a woman with autism. And then that label will basically invalidate any of her feelings as a sexual, or a woman with 
sexuality and a woman that wants companionship and wants love. And I thought that that was such um, an amazing, I, I thought that was such a great way um, to explain it to readers. If you, as a reader, I, I personally don't have autism, but like to get into Stella's experience of how the label of being autistic affects her and her ability to form relationships or the way people look at her. Um, I just thought that was so beautiful and it really hit home with me and kind of opened my eyes to all of these kind of preconceived notions I had about about autism and romantic relationships. And it really made me check that and, you know, acknowledge the fact that it's not that, you know, for somebody that has autism, their autism doesn't come first, their humanness comes first. And aut and autism is just a component of who they are. It's not the entire piece of them. Um, and so just so beautifully written. And, um, and I think it's important to add that the reason Michael... Um, is escorting and, and needs this money is because his mom uh, is suffering from lung cancer and he has taken over paying her medical bills um, and is has taken on a lot of that weight, especially because he no longer has a father in the picture. And he has five sisters as well. So he's kind of the man. He's kind of taken on that nuclear family man of the house role. Um, and the big drama comes at the end of the novel when Stella takes Michael to a benefit with her that her that her mother's hosting or I, that her mother's a part of, and um, at this point, um, office lecher and sexual harasser deviant Philip is there, and he had kind of forced a kiss on Stella. Not kind of. He forced a kiss on Stella, um, which is awful and so inappropriate and so wrong. And he expressed that like he wants to be with her and everything, and he's at this benefit. And so Philip and Stella's dad are kind of tre are treating Michael like total shit. And that was such a heartbreaking scene because at that point you you really see Michael's insecurities about his his love for Stella and like why he feels like he would never be good enough for her. He doesn't feel intelligent enough. Um you know, socioeconomic background is really different from what Stella um kind of lives in and has come from. And he just feels also like this, you know, his father is this black spot on who he is as a man. And um, and we come to find out that his father was this kind of inf infamous con man who was um, taking advantage of rich women and basically running them dry and running off with their money. And a few years prior to this, um, his dad officially left his mom and left her with nothing. And so... Um, you know, Michael kind of views it as because his father is this awful person, um, Michael is inherently predisposed to also be this awful person. And it got me thinking about other books I've read where um, the there's a, a father, primarily a father, sometimes a mother, that has had evil or really awful tendencies in the past and the hero or the, like the male antagonist of the story takes that parent's wrongdoings and feels tremendous guilt about it but also feels like it's this genetic predisposition to also be evil and and that they that that will be their nature as well and so they're constantly actively fighting against this idea of you know this evil nature when 
you know, eventually their journey is to realize that, no, they aren't inherently evil. They aren't their father. They aren't their mother. They are a good person. And it's not that they, you know, are just actively not being bad. They just, they were born good. And that got me thinking because I feel like I don't see that with women as often, female characters in, in novels. And I would love to hear if you guys have examples where, um, you know, this is true, but I feel like, um, our heroines and our female characters don't necessarily look at family evilness as like almost genetic where they're, they're likely to have it. They're likely to get it as if it's, as if it's a physical trait that they're going to receive just by being related to this person. And I've noticed it more with male characters where they think that they're going to inherit this badness or this evilness. And so I was, I, I, that's just something I haven't like, um, worked through this idea completely and I'm going to keep my eye out on future novels that I read and things like that. But I just wonder if it is more of a male's predisposition to assume evilness and badness is inherent within them. Um, and if you guys have any books or thoughts about this as well, please message me and let me know. At this point in the novel, Michael breaks things off with Stella and tells her, you know, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you besides sex and you deserve more than that. And he breaks it off. And poor Stella. Oh my God, poor Stella. I, she is just a shining star in my heart and I love her so much, but she internalizes what he says and interprets it to mean that she's not good enough because at this point he admits that he knows she has autism and she believes that his affection and um, these dates that they've gone on and everything about it has just been this attempt at, um, it's just been pity. It's been a charity case because he knows she has this label attached to her. And so she reacts to this and um, her instinct is to take all of the manifestations of her autism. So, you know, the way her clothes fit her, her routine, her obsessions, she takes all of these elements and tries to um, break them to prove that she she doesn't have to be controlled by her autism. Like it's not something, it's not her defining factor. It's just a factor. And she's able to do it and she's so uncomfortable the entire time and like just poor baby I just wanted to hold her and be like you don't you don't have to change these things about you you're beautiful the way you are but you know she comes to that realization herself that I think basically she says I'm not broken I just am and I love that and I think that that's something that can so easily be applied um to all women you know because I think as women we have this predisposition to think the pieces of us are broken pieces, you know, whether whether that's mental illness or whether it's, I don't know, fer- or fertility issues, whether it, it breaks out of, you know, the heteronormative sexuality or it's a physical ailment that you have. We're told to believe that these things make us broken um, and that we need to be fixed and I think what this novel does so beautifully is it shows us that these components and these pieces of us don't make us broken. They just make up who we are. And they're just one small piece of that. You know, Stella is so much more than just a woman with autism. She is a woman that plays the piano beautifully. She's a woman that has, you know, made leaps and bounds in her field. She's a woman that loves mint chocolate chip ice cream and K-dramas and martial art movies. And those are pieces that define who she is and make her up just as equally as this diagnosis of being autistic. But one of my absolute favorite scenes in this whole book 
is when Michael takes Stella shopping and he introduces her to yoga clothes. And <laughs> and it's just like the sweetest thing because she's so excited because um, she likes the feel of, of tight-fitting clothes and um, seams really bother her skin. And so yoga clothes are like the perfect cure to that, right? And she says to Michael, she like, she's trying on these yoga clothes and she turns to him and she's like, I look sexy in this. And it, at that scene, I like got up and did a happy dance. I was so excited because what a beautiful moment and like what an aha moment I don't know, for me as a reader, because it, it got me thinking about the fact that, like, I don't know if I've ever had that moment where I felt so unabashedly beautiful and sexy in myself that I vocalized that to somebody without, like, self-deprecation, you know? And to see Stella do that was such an eye-opener for me and, like, so empowering as as a reader. And it's something that I was, like, wow, I've never, I've never allowed myself to kind of express that or have those feelings because I've always been under the impression that it's, um, it's vain or it's cocky or it's just not what you do as a woman. Like you don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm sexy. And to see Stella just make these leaps and bounds in her, um, in conquering insecurities and be able to turn to this guy that she's in love with and say that, I thought that was such a powerful moment. And it's something like, that's going to stick with me. And honestly, I want to be more like Stella and I want to like own that shit. And I just, that whole scene was just so beautiful. And like, I want to write Helen Hung a letter about how much that meant to me. So let's talk a little bit about Michael. Michael is just he's just innately good and wonderful and I love him so much. He has just patience and love and tenderness and he's such a nice guy. And, and it's, you know, it's, um, I feel like I've been reading a lot of romances lately where the hero is flawed because of his personality and like kind of needing to get over that that hump so like a reformed rake or the playboy or anything like that where it's like they kind of have this cocky bad attitude and the heroine drags them out of that and then they become like this mush ball of love and affection but with Michael he kind of always had that he was always so patient with her no matter no matter what he knew about um you know her her autism or any components of her from the very start he was super gentle and loving and caring and that was just amazing and he also has just like this beautiful heart for his mom and his family and you know his 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 family's a little crazy and no matter what though his goal is to put them first and to take care of them to the point that he's selling his body to make sure that his mom is taken care of and she's getting this treatment like what um what an insane sacrifice and i know that it's it's um talked about and you know from michael's perspective we see that he it's not something that he's hated doing you know like he's been able to to deal with and kind of get in the headspace to um, be an escort. But it's still not a job that's like he would like choose it if it weren't for his mom and needing to do this to help her. And so that right there just shows that he's this really selfless and caring man. Um, And I also appreciate the fact that like when he, you know, realized fully that Stella has autism, 
nothing about it changed. Like nothing about his feelings for her changed. I think the only, you know, transition or mark that we see there is he recognizes that anytime he did feel impatient with her or didn't have that understanding, he, it it all clicks into place. And I'm sure that there's like a little bit of guilt there for him where he's like, oh, I, I got ear, especially that first scene where he goes or where Stella is invited over to the family house. And it's just like a fuck cluster of, you know, opera and girls screaming and yelling and (laughs) the BPA noodles was so funny to me because I so get that like I was right there with her like panicking 100% because with my anxiety I get overstimulated really really easily so you know tight spaces and loud noises really frazzle my nerves and so I felt for Stella so much in that scene and I'm sure Michael looked at that and it made so much more sense and everything. But overall, I, I really appreciated the fact that nothing in his mind changed about Stella except just a deeper understanding of who she is and like how he could be so good for her. And one of the other aspects of this novel that I absolutely adored was um, <clears throat> the balance of power between them. So with Stella, she has... Um, She's a genius, and she has tons and tons of money, and um, and those are all things that could make Michael feel less than. And I, I think he did have his insecurities come up, and that might have been a component, but overall, it was still so balanced in their time together. Like, her money was never really this—there were awkward conversations about it, but it was never this power dynamic behind it. And then with Michael, you know, Michael has— um, he has physical strength and he also has Stella's trust and he never uses those to, you know, shift power dynamics from the very beginning. They're equal no matter what. And Stella never once judges Michael because he's an escort. You know, in fact, that that's what she admires about him because he's supposed to be this teacher to her. And so they, they take each other where they are. And this book never has that component of, you know, fixing the other person. It's all about where they met and who they are and how they grow from that point. And I loved that. I think a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that there shouldn't be this change for the ones that we love. Um, and this book just does an excellent job of saying there's nothing that we can do about our pasts. We are who we are as we come together and like, let's see where we can grow from this without changing the other person. And just hats off. I mean, that was, God, this book was so good. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. The only one thing, I guess, is when we find out that Michael's mom's treatment is covered, that she was awarded a grant um, to cover all costs of her treatment. And, and Michael finds this out. And basically, it opens the door that Michael no longer has to be an escort, right? And um, first reading it, I kept waiting for the instance where Michael, like, when the nurse is telling Michael, like, oh, you were granted um, this money and, y- you know, you no longer have these bills or anything like that. I kept waiting in that moment to find out that Stella did it. And initially, I was kind of relieved to believe that she did not um, pay for the mom's medical treatment just because of that power dynamic. I think I think I would have preferred it just a little bit more if she hadn't ended up being the one to pay for um, the treatment. But I also understood why, you know, it was done that way because 
you know, Stella has always had just like this excessive amount of money that she doesn't have anything to spend it on. And she realizes that she has this power to do good with it, um, which is beautiful. But I guess just in a perfect Maisie world, um, Stella wouldn't have paid for that. But it's not a huge deal and it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect the book for me. Um, and I think just like one final point that I, I wanted to touch on was how well um, Helen Hung wrote about um, sexual harassment in the workplace. And I think that um, this is something that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of women have endured. And, it, you know, it's manifested through Philip. And, you know, Philip coming in with his box of condoms and like asking Stella if she's a virgin and just doing incredibly inappropriate things. And then, you know, tracking her to her car and um, forcing a kiss on her and all this stuff. And and while some of these instances may be extremes of the situation, I loved seeing that because um, in romance, a lot of times I think, um, I, I mean, I'll admit it, like, I enjoy the trope of an office romance, and I think it's great. It's one of my favorites. But I also think we can lose sight of how inappropriate um, office flirtations can be and how we need to keep awareness of the fact that, like, there there is a huge shift in power with that, with a man, like, approaching a woman and just saying really inappropriate things because he feels comfortable enough as, as a man in a workplace to do that. And I was so glad to see that because I haven't found that in another book necessarily. Um, I'm sure they're out there. I just haven't. It's not, not something I've read recently. And I, I think that that's great. And I think that that's really important that we continue to use these amazing books um, to highlight these issues that are really central to women's lives. Um and I love how she never gave in to this idea of Philip that she should settle for a man, you know, just because he's showing her these attentions. Um, and Stella's just, like, so strong, and I adore her, and I I just can't get enough of her in this book. Um, and I think what, what else is done so well in this is Stella... So I think, and I've touched on this before, romance novels are this super safe way for women to, um, explore their, explore their sexuality and their, um, desires for love through, in a really, really safe way, right? So we can use these books as a method to, um, just explore that in the safety of our own home or at the airport or whatever, wherever you read. Um, and what I loved is that we saw that Stella had that opportunity through Michael, right? Because that's kind of what their relationship initially was. It was this really safe space for her to, for her to discover her sexuality, but also for her to discover who she is as a person. Because throughout the the book, we see Stella, um, having these mental conversations with herself about all of the limitations that she or restrictions she puts on herself because she's scared of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing because she's been told she does that too many times. You know, so she she doesn't speak unless somebody addresses her directly. Um, she makes sure not to talk about work too much because she loves her job and wants to talk about it in on stop. She um, sits on her hands because she thinks fi- her fidgeting makes people uncomfortable. And so she's constantly lived in this really re- restricted box of who she can be around other people. And I imagine that's incredibly lonely and difficult for her. And so with Michael, those 
that box is just blown open and she's allowed to be exactly who she wants to be. And not only is she allowed to do that, but she's loved for doing that. And she receives all of this uh, praise and affection because he adores her because of these elements that make her her. He likes her fidgeting. He likes that she plays, you know, piano keys on with her fingers, you know, in a nervous habit. Or she he likes that she loves to talk about her job and can go on and on and on about it. And I just loved that. Like, what a, what a beautiful way to use this agreement for Stella to find herself fully. And it, it, it did. It transcended, like, their sexual relationship almost immediately and became so much more about who they are inherently as people. And I loved seeing the growth in both of these characters. Um, you know, I thought that this was done so well. It was a dual point of view. And I think personally when it's a dual point of view um, – there, there always is a tendency for me to prefer reading one character's chapters over another, um, even if it's just a little bit. But with this one, I just fell equally in love with both of these characters and loved their different chapters because each one showed so much growth and such a beautiful um, character arc and character development. Um, and so, and, and I think that's what was also done really well about this is it's not about how they fixed like I said I've I think I've repeated myself about a thousand times but it wasn't about how they fixed each other it was about how they came to came to each other as they were accepted each other 100% fully and then grew from there you know it was never this backtracking of fixing their past or fixing their quirks or anything like that it was all about I'm coming to you as I am like laying myself bare and let's see what we can make from this and I just loved it. I adored it. I can't say enough good things about it. And um, I mean, I, I kind of am, like like I said, the last one to get on the Kiss Quotient train, um, which in my defense, the reason I put off reading this novel so long was because I almost knew I would love it too much. Like when I got the book, I was so hyped. I was also in the middle of the school year and I was so hyped and so excited. I was like, I'm not going to savor this book like I need to. I'm not going to have like the time to think about it like I need to. So I need to put it off. I need to put it off. And then it almost became like a thing, you know, I don't know, maybe that's just me and like a byproduct of my anxiety, but I was, I just wanted to make sure I had time to love it as much as I did. And, um, and yeah, so let me know your thoughts. Um, I, I will not be accepting any negative criticism on the kiss quotient. I just don't believe it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. If you, whatever your thoughts, please let me know. You can find me on Instagram or my blog um, at Romance in the Wild. And um, next week, I will be talking about the book that everybody seems to be reading right now, The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. Yay! I'm so excited. I I love Christina Lauren. I am not so low-key obsessed with them. Um, I think I basically am probably on some list about people that obsessively like comment on their um their their pictures on Instagram. But whatever, I'm shameless about it. I don't care. I this is gonna be a reread for me. I read the arc back in December or January and I loved it. And so now I'm ready for a refresher because it's summertime. Woo! Um yeah, so tune in next week to hear all about that. It's an enemies to lovers. Um and in the meantime, stay sexy, read good books, um, drink some mojitos, you know, we're on on island time. No, we're not. I mean, we're all working in the real world, but whatever. Ignore that. 